0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter twelve, please. We'll be starting in verse eleven and I think you or verse twelve. I think you have a handout entitled God's Remedy for Weariness. Wonderful title for a sermon, right? During a time where we've it's probably experienced much weariness. So we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and we've learned how Jesus is better than just about anything. In fact, He is better than anything. Having a relationship with Him exceeds anything else that we can enjoy in this world. He's greater than the prophets of old. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He offers a better rest, a more lasting rest than Joshua was able to offer to the people of Israel. And... Uh, He's a better priest, he's a better intercessor, he's a better sacrifice for our sins than anything in the Old Testament Jewish system of sacrifice. And so he has become a better priest for us and through him we have access to the throne of grace where we'll find mercy and rest for our souls. In this life we have troubles though from time to time, right? We have things like COVID, we have things like unrest in our cities, we have things like family problems, we have disagreements with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and many times we have disagreements with those outside, of course. But we learned last week, in the few weeks before, that God has a remedy for weariness. First of all, he tells us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who himself went through much trial and tribulation in his life. And yet he persevered to the end until he received his just reward and he was able to sit down at the right hand of the Father. We learned also that we are to remember, just like Jesus is a son, that we are also sons and daughters of God. Those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ, we have become sons and daughters of God. And that's very good news, right? That we be children of a king, like Jesus is a king. But it also means that uh, we are to remember that in love, God disciplines us as true sons and daughters. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter various trials, because it's not the world or Satan who's in c- control of our destiny, but it's God who's in charge of our destiny, and he is doing something in our life, he's doing something spectacular, he is molding us into the image of his son so that we can be proper representatives of his on this earth. Amen. And so we receive God's discipline since it is ultimately for our good in this life, but also in the life of God, in the life of God, of, for in the life our eternal good. <laughs> so we receive his discipline since it is for our eternal good isn't god such a loving god that he would love us in that way sometimes it even looks like we're being punished but we're not being punished we can say according to the god's word that we are being disciplined for a purpose that we might become like jesus christ and so That is some of the remedy for our weariness, to look to Jesus, to remember that we're sons and daughters. But I think also in this next section of Scripture, there's some very practical ways for us to manage weariness in our life. So let's go ahead and read it, and let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17 is where we'll be at. that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he sought it to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place to repent, though he sought it with tears. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you thankful for the scripture that is before us. We're thankful that we have the opportunity to examine it, to learn from it, to understand it, And we pray for understanding uh, through your Holy Spirit, not a man's understanding, but an understanding from you. We pray also for humility as we go through this because there are things in here that are difficult for for us to do and who challenge our prideful attitude sometimes. And we pray ultimately that we could put what we learn here today into practice, that we actually really truly will become more like Jesus in this life, and that we can have more of an effect on our culture and our nation for the good of our of your kingdom. So we pray that you'd be with us and guide us and direct us, and we ask all this in Christ's name, amen. 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 So hopefully you have a handout here with a few little points on that. There'll be other things that you can write down as well, but to to talk about remedies to avoid weariness in the Christian life I think is something that's so important for us right now. It's important that we understand that we are supposed to live a life of joy, Amen? amen? We are supposed to live a life of joy, but yet sometimes the things of the world and even the things of the church sometimes have a tendency to try to bring us down, and we want to know how God tells us that we can combat those things. And so that's what this sermon is about here today. I don't hide anything from you and leave it to the end. I try to tell you right up front what it's about. We are to practice certain remedies to avoid weariness in the Christian life. And certainly one thing we don't want to do is bring weariness upon ourselves. And so once again, if we look at this scripture, looking at those first two verses, it says, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your." for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of the joint, but rather be healed. This once again is telling us that we are to remain focused on the promises of the coming Christ. And you might say, well, how in the world did you get that from those verses? Well, I looked up those verses where they're referred to in the Old Testament. They're from Isaiah 35, chapter three. And in that verse there, it talks about God coming and helping his people during their time of distress. And so I think that's why this verse was given to us now, that it might help us be encouraged to lift up our drooping hands and to strengthen your knee, weak knees. You see, he's still referring to the metaphor of running the race. And for some people, they had gotten off the path and they've gotten off into the rough areas like many Christians do. They've gotten away from the things of God and they have gotten off the path to where it's rough and it's difficult. And he's, he's just telling them that you need to go back and remember that Jesus Christ is coming again. Get back on the right path. Lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. It's as though he's trying to tell them you need to catch your second wind. You know what it is to get a second wind, right? If you've ever played basketball or or run long distances. I remember playing basketball. I loved to play basketball. Not any good at basketball, but I loved to play basketball. If anything, I was probably good at defense, but I loved to play, but for the fifth, first 10, 15 minutes, when we would stop, I could not hardly breathe. But something about that 20-minute line, I got my second breath, and usually I could outrun most other players. I think that's what he's telling us that we need to do now during our time of weariness. Get a new vision of Jesus Christ, who he is, and that he is coming back. And I believe, you know, many people have said this, of course, that he's coming back soon. I believe that he is coming back soon. And when he comes, he will vanquish all the foes and he will make everything right. And we will be with him forever. Amen. So that is very good news for us today. We need that second wind and so take catch that second wind if you can today just by remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. Remember that he is coming for us again Amen. as he promised his disciples. We must remain also on the running path so we are not injured and can complete the race. Let me say that again. We must remain on the running path so we are not injured and by being injured cannot compete in the race. We must make sure that we're following the way that Jesus wants us to follow him, right? So many times there's an invitation given and people want, of course, to go to heaven. They, don't, they want to avoid the going to hell and they want to go to heaven, but they forget that to receive Christ is to also receive the ways that he asks us to live. And it's not as though we're doing it to work our way to salvation, but it's in response to a loving offer that is given to us. And we say yes to that offer and we lovingly want to follow Jesus and his commands. Jesus referred, talked to his disciples many times and reminded them, you're only my disciples really and truly if you're following my commands. And so we need to take that and heed that warning, but Along with all of this, the main thing I'm trying to get a point is keep our focus on Jesus and the promise that we will be with him forever. And when he comes, we will, according to 2 Thessalonians, we will be marveling at his coming. Is that a wonderful word to use in that context? When Jesus comes, we will marvel at everything that he brings with them, the judgment and him taking us to himself because of our testimony that that he is the true Messiah. And so we must remain focused on the coming of Christ in order to persevere through difficult times. Secondly, we must remove anything within our control that causes us to be weary. Sometimes we shoot ourselves in our own foot, right? (laughs) We bring things into our life that causes us stress and weariness. And he lists several things here, but we're probably only gonna talk about one thing today, and that's striving for peace with everyone. We are to strive for peace with everyone, amen? We are to be at peace with everyone. The opposite of being at peace is to be at war, and pardon my speech, but war is hell. Have you ever been at war with someone? It is not a good thing to happen in your life. It will bring weariness upon you. War with each other, especially within the church, cripples us. War with each other just literally wears us down. And it keeps us from doing what God has called us to do. Unspiritual people sometimes seem to almost, in our nation, in our culture, thrive on controversy and drama. Do you know someone who kind of thrives on controversy and drama, but not the spiritual people of God. We desire there to be peace amongst each other. Striving indicates, of course, that this is a labor of love. There is effort that is required for this. It's an intentional and hard-fought spiritual battle that must be won. It must be won for the sake of the church. Sometimes in our battles with each other, we must remind ourselves that the church is what really is important. Of course, we are, as individuals are important as well, but for the church to go on to be, in, to be in our community, spreading the gospel is of utmost importance. And so we must think about that. We must always remember that our enemy is not our brother and sister in Christ or any other person, but it's the spiritual forces of darkness that are waging war against us. Amen? Amen. It really is, stirring up trouble, stirring up trouble even among Christians. Fortunately, our Lord has given us the means by which we can forgive each other and bitterness not build up in our life. We can be reconciled and enjoy true peace with each other and it's located in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. So I'd like you to turn there in your Bible. Matthew, what? Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. This is Jesus speaking. It's the remedy for unforgiveness and ultimately bitterness that might well up in our life and cause us to feel this sense of weariness. And it's not the only one. We'll talk about holiness and others in the next sermon. So it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he re- refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Unfortunately, most Christians seem to be aware, unaware of this command or choose to intentionally ignore it. And that's because it's a very difficult set of verses to actually work out, right? No one, said, no one said this is easy. But I know of no other remedy for unforgiveness in the Bible or anywhere else, especially those who are within this church. This is in the context of a church. So let us look at it a little bit more closely. First step is to go to the one who has offended you. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important to go to the one who has offended you because if they, if they have offended you, you want to make sure you, that you heard it right, that you're getting the right information. So you go to that person and say, did I understand it this way that you said this about me, for instance? And that person has an opportunity to respond and say, well, no, that, that's not exactly how I said it. In that case, The case is closed. You go on, there's forgiveness. To do anything else than go to the person who has offended you first could be that you're going to slander someone or defame their reputation, right? So if you go to someone else, whether it's another church member or a deacon or a pastor and you say such and such did this and that that accusation is not true, then you have actually defamed or uh, defame that person's reputation. So it doesn't say to go to a friend, doesn't say go to a deacon or pastor, but to the person who has offended you. Why do we do this? To protect their reputation, to make sure that the way they have offended you actually did happen, but we need to get their side of the story and get it straight before judging them wrongly. You see the goal in going through this process is always reconciliation and forgiveness, right? You don't go to a person in this manner to punish them or to judge them, but you're going as a means of reconciliation and and not punishment. So we want to be together as a family and for that there has to be forgiveness. Everybody still following? Okay. However, the the tendency sometimes is for us to punish, and we can do that in various ways. We can do it by slandering their name. We can do it by gossiping about them. We can do it by giving them the silent treatment. We can sometimes punish people by leaving the church or, as I said, gossiping about them. We go to them first, and if he listens to our complaint and they repent of their sin, then we have gained back a brother and sister in Christ. Isn't that worth being intentional about um, forgiveness and following the commands of Jesus? Mm -hmm. However, you may go to a person and they they don't repent. Maybe they don't think, think they sinned against you at all. Maybe they sin, but their pride will not let them admit that. And so there's another remedy. You step it up another level. If he does not listen, you take one or two others with you so that the charges against that person might be established by at least two or three witnesses. This is the way it was written in the Old Testament. There had to be two or three witnesses for a charge to stand against any person. Again, the goal is love and reconciliation. Amen? Amen. The goal is saying, hey... You have sinned uh, against me, it's a grievous sin. I want to be reconciled with you. I want things to be good between us. I want things to be proper between us. I want us to live in harmony together and not experience weariness. So the goal is reconciliation. And so the person who is confronted by these witnesses at this point probably thinks he's really serious about this. He's gone to the trouble of bringing witnesses here. He's trying to, seems as though he's trying to help. Maybe I should listen to him. I think that's one of the reasons why two or three witnesses are taken. It gives more punch kind of to the presentation. But sadly, many times, people once again refuse to listen. And Jesus says, If they refuse to listen, even after two or three witnesses have gone to them, take it to the church. All right? Take it to the church. Take it to the assembly. That's what that means. Take it to the business meeting and talk about it. We hardly ever see this done, right? We hardly ever see this done. And that's that's good in one way if it's been resolved before it gets to this point. The, the point is that it be resolved as early as possible so that relationships can be mended quickly. Once again, if we take it to the church, the purpose is to lovingly restore the person to repentance. Purpose not to seek revenge. Revenge belongs to God, right? It has no place for us. We do not seek revenge. We only seek to be reconciled and to extend forgiveness. If the re- person repents, and that's our prayer, right? If we're in this situation, the person repents, then all is well. Everything is forgiven. There's no grudges kept. There's no uh, history that that we try to remember. We try the best that we can to forget and forgive, right? As the old saying goes. If the re- person repents, all is well. If the person does repent, he is to be treated as an unbeliever. That's what Jesus says. He says they should be treated as a Gentile tax collector or as a tax collector. And this is where it gets really, really serious, right? This is where ultimately you're saying to that person, because of your unwillingness to repent, because of this obvious sin now, we're forced to treat you as though you don't understand the gospel, that you're not truly a believer. And that person would be asked to leave the church and no longer be a member of the church. So this is very serious. We, we don't want to get to this point, right? We want it to be solved earlier than this. We want there to be forgiveness. And we want to know that people demonstrating that they are truly saved by their repentance This is the God-ordained means for us to be at peace with one another within the church and to avoid this weariness that comes from controversy with other people and relationships that we have. Remember, a couple things to remember. From Matthew, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's how serious unforgiveness can be. It's so serious that if we are unwilling to forgive, it draws into doubt whether we have ever experienced God's own forgiveness. We are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Remember Jesus, one of the sayings on the cross, he said, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He extended forgiveness even to people who didn't recognize they were sinning and and nailing the Son of God to the cross. He extended forgiveness. And I believe they received that forgiveness on the day of Pentecost. When they turned and said, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. So in closing today, the message is clear there's good news in the gospel is that we can extend forgiveness to those who we talk to about that and work things out. And we are not to become weary because of a lack of forgiveness in our life. Does that make sense to people? I think it makes sense. It's a hard saying, right? Jesus was not always known for easy sayings. You know, this, well, I think one of the questions in Sunday school was, you know, what are some misconceptions that the world has about Jesus? And one of those misconceptions, I think it was Casey who answered it, is that Jesus has a sense of justice, and Jesus talked about hell more than he did about heaven, and he was very serious about what it meant for us to follow him. He says we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. And we can follow him better if we don't carry this weight, this burden of unforgiveness on our heart. And so today as we go to the Lord in prayer, my prayer is just going to be that all things be right between us. I'm not saying there's anything going on in the church. I'm just saying this needs to be taught on a regular basis so when it does happen that we can extend forgiveness to one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had to speak about forgiveness and striving for peace. It's so important that we do that. And it's so important for us as a church to also maintain peace and to think of others before we think of ourselves and extend forgiveness easily and not begrudgingly. Father, I've been guilty of most of the things that I've talked about up here today at one time or another in my life. And I have learned so much in the past few years about what it really means to forgive. And I confess that I've not always been perfect in that area as well, but you're teaching me. And I pray and hope that I am better at forgiving than I used to be all for your glory and I pray the same for these sitting in the pews today, that we would learn that it is Christ-like to forgive easily and quickly and not drag it out as a means of punishing others. Help us to be ones who are following your spirit and empowered by your spirit. Because we know that of each Of ourselves that we cannot do this but with your power it can be done and when it is done is a picture to the rest of the world that jesus christ and his life is true and it means something and we can bank upon it father teach us to forgive in christ's name we pray amen 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 and we'll stand together.